guys, we've got the Tour de France coming up. Real busy time of the year for us. And when I get this busy, you know what? The last thing I want to do, go to a bike shop. You know what you should do, Fred? You should call it Bellafix. How can they save me time, Kaylee? Well, they send a van to your home or office, and they, inside the van is a mechanic and everything that mechanic needs to fix up your bicycle. Maybe you should just get a new bike, Fred, altogether. <laughs> they will sell you a new bike, too, if you want. They will absolutely sell you a new bike. And maybe just start from scratch, huh? And right now, Velofix, because they love the listeners of the Velo News Podcast, they have they have produced a little uh, contest for everybody. If you go to velofix.com slash velonews, you can enter to win that contest, which includes some free pedals, free cables and housing, and a free tune-up from Velofix. Well, uh, we thank Velofix for sponsoring this week's episode of the Velo News Podcast. Check out their website, and let's get on with the show. We're back. We're back. I'm back. You guys are back. Hi, Fred. Velo News Podcast is back. I'm Fred Dreyer, Editor-in-Chief of Velo News, and you are tuned in to the very special Tour de France preview episode of the Velo News Podcast. We have a lot to get to today, guys. With me, as always, we have Spencer Paulison. Hello. And Kaylee Fretz. Hey, Fred. You guys did some bike riding on your own this weekend? A little hot route? Hot route? Rockies? Well, I did. I, Spencer Kaylee, did. Kaylee did not. I did Old Fall River Road. So um, I, I climbed to like 12,000 feet. Wow. Body freaking duck, Kaylee. Yeah. Mm, Sounds like some me. Tour de France training going on in this very room. And it yep. was growed too, so double Super whammy. Super grody. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Uh, people love hearing about us riding our own bikes. Just kidding. No one wants to hear about that stuff. <laughs> Boring. So let's get on to it. You know, before we get to our epic, long, in-depth Tour de France preview section, we need to get to the other big race that happened this weekend, which was the U.S. Road Nationals going on in Knoxville, Tennessee. Uh, U.S. Pro, always a fun battle between world tour guys, domestic pro guys, and gals. And we had an epic battle in the men's race, road race. We had uh, Larry Warbass come home with the victory out sprinting Nielsen Palace and Alexi Vermeulen. And in the women's race, Amber Nieben, ageless wonder, put on a show winning both the time trial and the road race in, I would say, like, dominant fashion. When's the last time that happened, anyway? Ooh. It's been a few years, at least. Cycling historians, we are Ooh. not. <laughs> I only know what happened this past weekend. Sorry, That's amazing, guys. though. My depth of knowledge goes back about four, uh, 48 hours. <laughs> it's just a blur after that. Also worth noting, Joey Roscoff won the time trial. I mean, yeah. I don't know, guys. It really seems like on the men's side of thing, we're seeing a generation shift. And this might be like when we look back at this um, this storyline of, of the new generation of American cyclists taking over from the old one. I think we may look back at this moment as sort of a turning point. I would agree with that. Yeah, I mean, Larry. I mean, Larry and Larry's a little bit older. Uh, not old by any stretch of the imagination neither is joey they've been in the world tour for a couple years now but have been relatively quiet mm -hmm. and it was really just this sort of this spring this summer that those two have sort of burst onto the, the world stage uh larry had that awesome stage win in the tour de suisse joey pulled a fifth uh in the final time trial of the giro d'italia so these guys yeah they're, they're coming to the top of the sport uh, just at the right time i think and these guys 
Uh, both of them have been in the system for a long time, both with USA Cycling and the development programs, but then also in the pipeline with some of these World Tour teams. They've gotten opportunities to race overseas. They've gotten opportunities to, you know, test their legs against some of the biggest riders out there. And, you know, it, it was kind of a... It, I mean, it wasn't for certain that they were going to take this next step up, but I know that, especially with Joy Roscoff, I was like, one of these days, this guy is going to be like winning nationals or like are dominating. You, you just talk to enough people in the sport, and they're like, boy, that kid's got a lot of talent. So, this is it. I think this is the like the start of Larry and Joey, international men of mystery. We love it, and we are going to be catching up with Larry Orbas later in the show. Actually, I'm gonna I'm gonna call him up. Uh, we are now one day after his national championship victory. I'm going to catch up with Larry in the in the second half. Guys, just did a little little research on the side here while you're chatting. Allison Powers mm. did the double in 2014. How could mm. we forget? Boulder County native. There we, we go. There we go. Coaching lots of people. Um, the other, you know, the other ride I think that uh, is worth noting, Nielsen Palace. Yep. So he is still U23. Um, he's been on our radar for a while now. Last year at the Tour of California, the big breakout ride, and now second place in both the road race, second place in the time trial. Like this kid is flying. Um, he, you know, talk about one to watch going forward. I think it's just a matter of time before, you know, elite national championships, big stage wins, stage race wins. Like he's he's got it. And uh, I'm hoping that we'll see him in action at uh, Tour de l'Avenir, the uh, under 23. Tour de France race, essentially, that is uh, coming up this summer. The best way to keep an eye on up-and-coming talent. It it really is. And he had a pretty good showing there last year as well. Won the final stage, big climbing stage. You know, I I wasn't surprised to see him up there in the road race, but in the time trial doing that well, you know, uh, out time trialing veterans like Brent Bookwalter and... um, Oh, some of the other stronger riders. I, I was really, I was really impressed to see that. Yeah, well, he was second in that Tour de l'Avenir time trial last year, so he's he's no joke when it comes to being an all rounder. I'd say. Yep. Yeah. Uh, guys, before we move on to the tour prep, let's let's get in our way back machine to yesterday. It's the final few kilometers of the U.S. Pro Men's Elite Race, and we have um, Larry Warbass and Nielsen Palace, and Alexi Vermeulen coming into the final few kilometers, mm-hmm. looking real strong. You know the breakaway's going to succeed. And Vermeulen, man, he was digging so deep to stay in there. You could tell that he was, like, fidgeting around on a saddle, sitting way back, sitting for- far forward. He was hurting. Hurting a lot. Really hurting. You know, I, th- I really think he could have used some Cat 3 advice right away. Yeah, I think <laughs> we need to have a little Ask Cat 3 segment of when you're hurting in this breakaway, how do you find a way to stay in, and how do you try to win? Okay, Spencer, you ever find yourself in one of these situations as a cat three? You're just like getting flogged by two dudes who are a little bit stronger than you? What, what do you do? You know what, Fred? Actually, I kind of had this very experience yesterday in the in one of these Mavic Hot Root Rockies days where I was just on the limit, totally gassed. We were going up going up uh, Berthed Pass, this really high altitude climb. And, um, you know, sometimes if you're in that situation, you just think, maybe if I just kind of hork down a bunch of like energy gel oh, or yeah. like some uh, energy chews or something. Maybe mysteriously my body will transform that sugar into uh, legs legs that will pedal. Um, <laughs> well, that's why so you're so tired. You, you, so just you just haven't kinda, eaten enough. Yeah, you start choking it down and then you're kind of like doing that thing where you breathe and chew at the same time. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, it doesn't usually work. Mm, but 
but, three advice. Um, but you lose the weight that was in your pocket that way because you had, you know. It doesn't count once you eat it. Right. You, you know, yeah. it's like how the guys throw the stuff out of their pockets right before the sprint, yep. the big race. The same sort of thing. Except or like, you're eating it. Throwing your uh, throwing your water bottles out, just like dad, don't need these. These are slowing me down. You could do that too. Well, what's what, what's your technique? Well, or so tactic. I, I do like you know uh, pitching all of your uh, pitching all of your items overboard. Um, just gratuitous tonnage. littering. Yeah, just like throw the water bottle. It's throw a the race. Food. I can do this. Maybe your jersey. <laughs> throw your sunglasses off. You know, oh, these are slowing me down. But really, do the Pontani where you take your uh, earring out. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> get rid of it. You get throw your Fabian Cancellara. 20 pound amulet that you bought because you're a cat three and you just love Conchalara. Like, take that off. Yeah, but what about the energy that it. The amulets are 800 euros. Oh, maybe keep your sweet amulet, (laughs) cat three amulet. Um, No, but I I really think this comes down to a cat three tactical question, which is that you just start skipping pulls Mm -hmm. and you you come up with every excuse in the world for when they ask you, like, why are you skipping pulls to explain why you're just wheel sucking. Oh man, got a sprinter in the group behind us coming up. <laughs> oh man, um, you know, trained so hard this week and need to like take a little bit of break. Guys, I think it's better for the breakaway if I skip a couple pulls because then I can take stronger pulls Ooh, later in the nice, race. Nice. And you know, I've found as a Cat 3, if you're going to skip pulls, it's best to stay toward the front of the group as well. Ooh, Just strong. because, yeah. you know, it's, you don't want to get off the back too quick. So, <laughs> Well, there you go, guys. Epic Cat 3 advice. Okay, moving on. Uh, U.S. Nationals was very exciting. Congrats again to the winners. Congrats to Amber Neben, 42 years old. Yeah. Ageless wonder. Two victories, dominating fashion. Ah, it's great to see. Uh, moving on, Tour de France time, guys. This is it. This is what we spend all year uh, waiting for, writing about, building up to, yes. creating storylines around, um, reporting on. And it is here. Kaylee, you are taking off in a tomorrow. T- tomorrow to yeah. go to the Tour de France. Actually, today, by the time this comes up. I will be joining you out there for the second half. Once I'm grumpy. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna wait for me to get nice and grumpy, and then you're gonna show up. So, Vela News podcasters, you can look forward to lots of like my nasally drone and Kaylee <laughs> being really exhausted, <laughs> and we're just having weird takes, <laughs> really weird on takes. the tour and the life around the yep. tour. What it's like to be a reporter out there. Andrew Hood will be on for the first half with me, and then uh-huh. you're on for the second half, and we'll also have Dan Cavallari, our tech editor, out there for the beginning of the race. So, yeah, and, we, and of we, course Gregor Brown too. Of course, Gregor Brown, our faithful Italian. Yeah. Be increasing the frequency of the Velonese podcast. We will indeed as Dialing well. It up. Yeah. So stay tuned to that. We will have lots of good pod content coming to your ear holes from the race. And as a special treat, Kaylee, tell the good listeners what else we have for them. Well, as a very special tweet, tweet, <laughs> as a very special treat, uh, we have a couple. We have a couple celebrities Ooh. coming on, coming on the podcast. So we have asked. Uh, American Nate Brown, who is in, going to be in his first Tour de France, uh, if he would join us on the podcast once or twice a week. So what we'll be doing is he will be recording himself probably from his massage table mm. or something similar. Mm. And uh, and we'll, we'll sort of prompt him on what we want him to talk about. But, you know, we'll get sort of the inside story uh, of, of, of Ryder's first Tour de France from Nate Brown. We also have George Bennett. Uh, with Nate Brown, I'm looking for some real Heart of Darkness stuff here. Oh, yeah. I'm looking for like... Like week three, just like, oh, oh my God, week three of the tour. I can't think anymore. Where am I? I think that's going to be pretty close to what it's going to be. I tried like. to drink a, bo- a water bottle upside down the other day. It just sprayed all over my crotch. 
Looking for some of that, Nate. Uh, there'll be plenty of that. We also got George Bennett. Uh, many of you will, will recognize that name because he just won the Tour of California. George is also hilarious. So Kiwi. we're looking forward to that one. Kiwi, Kiwi guy. Yeah. Great accent. Are we going to have to be ready with the bleep button with George? Because yes. love that guy. Super hilarious. Kind of a little, little bit of a potty mouth. Let's yeah. uh, just put that little red E next to our podcast. Ooh, yeah, we'll we just go. call it explicit. I can actually, Keep it nice and raw can, for the listeners. <laughs> I can do that when I upload. Explicit. So the Tour de France podcast may be explicit. Warning yeah. now. Leave the kids at home for that one. And then finally, we have Whitey, Matt White, uh, famed director, and will be directing the uh, Orica Scott team at the Tour de France, and he is always honest, very noted, honest. Noted fire thrower. Noted fire thrower. Fire breather, just like, hey, mate, you want to take? Like, his takes are his takes make ours, our takes look like kindergarten takes. So basically, we, we, we did a little poll of our reporters here, and we're like, who is the flamingest, hottest takes of the entire Tour de France? And it was Whitey. So we got in touch with him, and he's going to be joining us on the podcast, I think, weekly, maybe twice a week. Again, it, some of it depends on how busy these guys are. They're quite busy. Uh, but he will be joining us on the podcast pretty regularly, again, with... With the hottest of hot takes, dropping truth bombs on you, dropping ya. truth bombs. I'm I'm really looking forward to this. Um, and yeah, listeners, stay tuned to the Villainous Podcast for the Tour de France. All right, moving on, guys. It's here. It's the big race, the Tour de France. We have to talk about the rivalries, the storylines, the GC, the sprinters, and the stages in the route. This week's podcast is brought to you by Health IQ, a life insurance company that rewards you for getting off the couch and onto your bike. They've spent years compiling data on healthy folks like us and are using it to provide special rates on life insurance for health-conscious people. That includes runners, strength trainers, cyclists, even vegans. We know our listeners ride, so support the show and check out Health IQ's life insurance rates specifically for cyclists. Get a quote at healthiq.com slash velonews. All right, on with the show. First, guys, let's talk about some GC storylines because in the last few days we've had a number of interviews, we've had a number of stories trickle out about where guys like Chris Froome, Richie Port, Nairo Quintana, uh, Fabio Aru, Jakob Fuglesang are in their preparation for the tour. You know, the most compelling one I think at this point is Richie Port. You know, he lost the Dauphiné. He was the strongest guy there. You know, we have a lot of um, stories revolving around his readiness for the tour, the squad that BMC have chosen to cocoon him with at the tour. And just today, we had a little interview with him up here on the um, Australian slash North American um, cycling website, Cycling Tips. World, world site. It's like world music, right? Right. It's, it's like, like world music. It's like KBCO. Yeah. Yeah. Cycling Tips. <laughs> and in this interview, um, Port talked about you know, he, he reiterated the fact that he was bummed out he lost the Dauphiné because he felt like guys were racing against him. He uh, was bummed out that he didn't have any teammates there on the final day. It was kind of mm. like, hey, could have used those teammates. Ooh, throwing them under the bus. And there. he reiterated something that we uh, were, were throwing some flames around the other day, which was, Chris Froome's trying to get into my head by proclaiming me to be the favorite for the Tour de France. Head True. games. True. Head I, games. I love head games, though. Head games are the best. And I, I honestly. What else are we going to talk about, right, guys? <laughs> what else are we going to talk about? Well, and I'm also excited because, you know, these two guys, they were, they were quote unquote friends for a long time. They were teammates for a long time. They live in the same town. They train together all the time. I think that a even better than a normal rivalry is a rivalry of former 
friends. Yeah, right? and you get a little master pupil type dynamic. Before we move yeah, on from the former friends, he did mention in the interview, he's like, "Yeah, we're still buddies." Yeah, uh, I was like, "It's like, come on." They still snapping each other. Yeah, some Snapchats. you want to be bad? <laughs> you want to be buddies? Well, what of this BMC team? I mean, the, so they left off a few key names that we kind of expected they might bring, right? Yeah. We, we 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 really kind of thought they would they'd bring Rowan Dennis. Yep. We, <laughs> We're eating a little crow, I would say, for yep. our podcast last week when we expected Dennis would show up and barnstorm the stage one time trial, but he's not even going to start. So yes. the team is a little different, and uh, perhaps that reflects their concern about keeping Richie Port protected in the mountains. Yeah, it sounds like sounds like Richie was a little little displeased after the Dauphiné with his, with his team's performance, and so a number of the riders that were at the Dauphiné are not at... The Tour de France. Uh, I think Dennis is the most surprising omission for mm-hmm. me because, again, they, they are essentially, I think they're giving up an early yellow jersey. It, uh, yeah, who could really have challenged him in that time right. trial, right? I mean, we know world champion Tony Martin, very motivated on home soil in Germany, but... Uh, Rowan I mean, Dennis, Dennis is, is looking so strong. Ooh, yeah. I, I think that this is a boon for Martin. This is a boon for Taylor yeah. Finney. Uh, this is this uh, is the goal for of all of, of all of Taylor Finney's season. Granted, he has not been riding all that well. I've yet this to see season. him. Yeah, I've yet to see him put in a time trial performance that makes me confident he'd be a exactly real favorite. In that Nonetheless, stage. I think with Dennis in the race, that you know he could really wave uh, any chance goodbye. But now with Dennis gone, uh, maybe a podium, maybe a podium, maybe. So then, who are the guys then we're going to be looking for to? be uh, to be with port in the mountains obviously damiano caruso he'll mm-hmm. be there he looked strong at the tour de suisse um we have nico roche he is a tested uh mountain lieutenant mm-hmm. but then i mean stefan kung uh, he's won a couple really. king, more of a time trial king uh, kung he's is, won a couple stages in tour de romandy uh one art is, is quite a good climber Winard. uh th- there is no question in my mind though that this bmc racing team is not uh, anywhere near as strong in the mountains as it probably needs to be to help defend a, a potential Richie Port yellow. Flame and take coming yeah, your here way. We take. Here we okay, go. Here we go. I think I know what's coming. Um, Greg Van Avermaet. Yeah, on this, team. this is what I thought. Greg yep. Van Avermaet yep. is on this team. I love Greg Van Avermaet. Uh, he's the Olympic champion, won all those classics races. But why is he on this team if they are 100% focused on Richie Port winning the Tour de France? I mean, he is not a mountains lieutenant. He's a guy who wins stages. I can't imagine that he's just going to be roped in to like put his nose in the wind all three weeks long. Like They're going to have to unleash the beast and let him go for his own ambitions. If you're really, really focused on one guy for the GC overall, why are you bringing Greg Van Avermaet? Here's why, Fred. Okay. Greg Van Avermaet is BMC Racing's flat tire repair kit. Ooh. <laughs> so, let's hear it. in the event that Richie Port gets an untimely flat tire... Might happen. Maybe before Planche de Belfi... Could happen. Or something, or maybe in the foie stage, loses like five minutes, which is sort of his thing. <laughs> Greg Van Avermet can save the tour for BMC Racing by winning a couple <laughs> stages. Okay. Uh, that is actually I, I would say that's a garbage take but that's ace a, in the hole that's an amazing take he's the ace in the <laughs> hole like because you know he can do it on his own all these other guys maybe they get in a break maybe they have a shot if something goes sideways if they don't have a real GC race on their hands after the first week or two will Greg Van Everett have a patch kit in his pocket oh yeah yeah okay. one of those really fast it, like park tool stick yeah, on no is, glue it's more metaphorical really yeah. <laughs> um, well, okay so I look, I'm looking at the BMC the full BMC team right roster they left at home like sammy sanchez they could have brought tj van garter and yep. they could have been like tj sorry 
you are still one of the best climbers on the team. You got to show up. You got to be a domestique. I think that. I personally think that BMC made some errors here. I think that they erred on the side of protecting Richie Port across all these many, many, many flat stages, and it's going to be to their detriment in some of the key stages, particularly that stage to foie. I think that if Richie is in yellow and that stage to foie, he is going to lose it. And double B, man, the double B. Brent Bookwalter. Brent Bookwalter. I mean, yeah. second, I, second in Nationals time trial. Yeah, we're total homers. But, you know, Brent can climb. Brent uh, helped shepherd Cadell Evans to his uh, Tour de France win. Like, he's a, he's a smart guy. Well, so what's Kay- what Kaylee is saying is kind of getting at something I wanted to, to bring up. And I don't want to de- dig too deep into the route yet because we're going to get to that a little later in the show. But the question is whether this is a strategic move to protect the GC leader in a tour route that is a little unconventional and a little less pure climbing. And I feel like we can talk about the team sky lineup and see maybe a little similarity there in terms of the riders who might be able to both hang on a pretty significant climb and also really toe the bus when you get into the valley valley roads or the flats someone like Michal Kwiatkowski for instance correct yeah I mean Team Sky has Luke Rowe that's good Kirienka, uh that dude's basically a moose on a bicycle mm, Christian Knees former world time trial champion yep uh, also very very strong however they also have Landa Nieve and Hanau. Hey now. Yeah. Hey now. None of the BMC plus, climbing do- domestiques can rival those guys. Yeah, plus Garen yeah. Thomas. So essentially you're looking at, okay, so if you have a mano a mano, let's say mano a mano up Planche de Belfi, the first climb of the race, first major climb of the race, you have Chris Froome surrounded by Hanau, Nieve, probably Kwiatkowski, probably Garen Thomas, and definitely Mikael Landa. So he's got, what, five guys there with him? This is going to be the Team Sky we've seen the last three right. or four On the tours. other side, you have... It's going to be just the murderer's row. Richie Port with maybe Damiana Caruso, maybe maybe Amam Wenard, uh, maybe Nico Roche, and that's it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, come on. It's not, it's not even... Not very it's promising. It's not even going to be close. Not very yeah, promising. Yeah, but here's the other storyline with Team Sky. Um, they're being led by just, just winless... Uh, winless loser Chris Froome no wins <laughs> no wow. wins terrible wow. season I, I love the storylines that have been going around about Chris Froome like not winning any races this year <laughs> like we're supposed to be worried about that like ah oh, dude he didn't win uh, there was a little I think he's gonna be alright yeah, there, there was a pretty fine. interesting someone had tweeted a while ago a little chart of recent tour winners and how many wins they had going into the the Tour de France and it, it's pretty spare actually there's not a whole lot of guys who have in the last 10, 15 years won the Tour de France after not collecting any wins in tune-up races Ooh. earlier in the season. Well, well, maybe Chris so, Froome. Sabermetrics there. Maybe uh, No numbers, but definitely sabermetrics. Maybe Chris Froome knew about those sabermetrics and was like, if I really want to uh, write my name in the history books, i got to break some trends. Trend breaker. Going to go for Innovator. The, yeah. Winless you know, 2017, except for the big one. Wow. These guys are pretty cagey, too. And I, I, I do sometimes wonder, you know, did, was Chris Froome sick at some point? Was he injured at some point and just didn't tell anyone? Uh, that would be the kind of thing that would make you, you know, not quite have the punch at the Dauphiné sort of. Mm-hmm. Eh, you never know. They're, they're very cagey. Um, what do we make of Team Sky leaving uh, its number one Skybot robotic soul crusher rider Walt Poles off of the team this year. Walt Poles was injured this year, yep. didn't have quite the same 2017 as he did at the 2016, but God, he was so strong last year. I mean, he was the final guy to be with Chris Froome on all those big long climbs. He was the guy that, you know, knew exactly the wattage to dial it up to. 
to take Chris Froome home, and uh, he's not there. Yeah, it's a pretty clear choice to me. If you look at his, if you look at his resume so far this spring, it's he's really done very, very little in terms of racing. Uh, a couple of two point one stage races, Valenciana, Depeche Midi, Ruta del Sol, and then he was like thirty fourth at Dutch Nationals. He's I just don't think he's there. Maybe yeah. maybe maybe he'll be able to gear up for the Vuelta and right. either be a, a Froome domestique in the Vuelta or perhaps ride for himself. But uh, do we? Boy, think, he's had a really rough season so far compared to last year when he won Liège. Right. But do we think this hurts Sky and its ambitions? Not just what pulls his legs, but also his ability to read a race and be a strong domestique. Is this a blow? Uh, I do think it's a blow, but I think that mini blow. Some, mini somehow blow. they'll they'll muddle through. I think so. Yeah, I think with, somehow yeah, with, with their with Sergio Hanau, uh, poor, poor Scott, Michal yeah, Kwiatkowski, right. and Mika Landis. Somehow they'll they'll. I think they'll be okay. <laughs> Embarrassment of riches. Jaron Thomas. Oh, I forgot him. Yeah. Um, oh, poor G. guys. Big G. Uh, okay. Well, I think. None of us are worried, too terribly worried about Team Sky. I think that a lot of the... No you know, panic button. Chris Froome, no this is my button. toughest tour yet. Maybe a little overblown. Well, I don't know. We'll see. Uh, moving on. Um, the guys of Movie Star. Yep. Team, team Nairo Quintana. Uh, Nairo and Alejandro Valverde. We had Valverde come out and say very publicly that his tactic for this year's tour is to ride in support of Nairo, which... A little strange, man. This is like a potential tour of chaos. This could be like the Valverde tour, the KG veteran Valverde tour. Yeah, it's um, he he could he could be a nice sort of backup plan if Nairo is like <laughs> three or four minutes down. By I the think he's more point. than a backup plan. Yeah, I mean, and and considering that time trial on stage twenty, which again we're going to get to the route in a little bit, it's uh, it seems like. Yeah, well, I, I think Nairo will probably hang in there for a little while, but um, I, I have a feeling that Valverde will have to do more than just be a domestique. Uh, I mean, it's a it's a great route for Valverde, and so I think that he'll just start, try to stay close. And you know, that's the kind of one-two punch that could prove really valuable when we do get to this this stage that we keep talking about, stage thirteen to Foix. Um It it could be really valuable to have two guys probably within the top 10 or so likely within a couple minutes at that point. Uh, it's going to take, it takes more than one attack to break whoever's in the leaders Jersey at that point. So I think that, I think that they will leave Valverde as close as possible to the front of the race. Uh, definitely protect him. You know, Quintana's probably still the leader. Quintana's going to get more domestiques if they both flat at the same time, Quintana's getting the wheel, but you know, I do think that, uh, I do think that Valverde will be kept as close as possible because tactically, yeah, he's he's important in case Quintana falters, and he's important even if Quintana doesn't falter because you need to use him, uh, you need to use him tactically to try to gain time on your rivals. So, guys, in our Tour de France guide, our annual print issue that comes out previewing the tour, we put Nairo as third, Ooh. as the third favorite for the tour behind Chris Froome and Richie Port. And so a question I have for you is, are we writing Quintana off? Are we not taking Quintana seriously enough? I mean, this decision was based solely on the fact that he did the Giro. I mean, you know, the the usual... Uh, precedent for guys who do the chir- the Giro is they just don't have enough time to recover for the Tour de France. They show up, they're a little overcooked. But the storylines that we've been coming out, that we've had come out of Movie Star is, well, hey, look at uh, Quintana at last year's Welta. They're, they're, they're gung-ho on the storyline of Nairo is stronger 
for the second grand tour of a year as opposed to the first. He can use the first to boost his fitness for the second, bucking most trends that we've seen in cycling over the last <laughs> several years. In general. In general. But what do we make of this story? I, I do think that he was a little bit uh, undercooked for the Giro. I do not think that he was Nairo at full strength at the Giro. That that might just make the Giro even harder on him, though. Uh, if he's not at full strength, then every single one of those stages is going to be a little bit more difficult, and that makes it even harder to recover from. That said, maybe they did. Maybe they did look at the Tour of Vuelta before, and and maybe he was undercooked to the Tour last year, and then had such a great Vuelta. I think that uh, I think that it could potentially work. And honestly, if you are Nairo Quintana and you are Movistar and you're looking at Chris Froome and Team Sky, I think you have to try. I think that you have to keep just trying things to see if you get something, if you can find something to give you that one or two percent that you need to take Chris Froome down. I think we were pretty much correct to to rate him as third i don't think he's uh, the first pick and i definitely i don't think he's the second pick either and i'll say why it's because that giro in truth should have favored him much more than the tour in terms of how much climbing was in the route how many pure mountain stages in the route and he had trouble he didn't uh he didn't put dumoulin far enough behind him before that final time trial. And I don't see him being able to do that in the Tour de France either. So There is eh, less time trialing in the Tour. There is but. less, but, you know, I'm just not particularly bullish on Quintana after seeing him. He's pretty lukewarm in the Giro, really, when, it, when you consider his chops as a pure climber. I'm with you. So let's put him firmly in dark, in dark horse favorite territory. <laughs> Every, everyone, favorite. everyone but Chris Froome is in dark horse favorite territory. <laughs> I don't know. Apparently, I think Richie uh, Richie Port is like, the strongest like a guy tan in the race. Colored, he's like a tan colored horse. <laughs> yeah, not a so, white one, but maybe kind of a, a dappled. I, I don't know, guys. I believe everything Chris Froome says. So I think Richie Port is the favorite to win the Tour Ooh. de France. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, two guys who are not favorites to win the Tour de France, but are favorites to animate the Tour de France, are the Yin and Yang of Team Astana. The light blue men from Kazakhstan. Will we see any mankinis running alongside the peloton this God, year? God, I hope so. God, I hope so. Ooh. That is, of course, Fabio Aru, recently crowned Italian national champion. Way to go, Fabio Aru. And Jakob Fuglesang, recently crowned dad. Recently <laughs> crowned dad. He <laughs> All won the, the dad, dad awards. Dad Watts. He yep. has dad Watts, guys. Dad Watts. Mm. Be careful, everybody. The dad Watts are real. Seriously, Chris, uh, Chris Case, hear, our managing one. editor. <laughs> Serious dad Watts. Oh, yeah. Very uh, important. So Aru is flying. That's that's the yeah. major point here is that Aru is absolutely flying. Just took Italian national title. That is never an easy thing to do. Uh, I think, again, sometimes when a rider has a spring that does not go to plan and they're forced to take a little time off and come in a little bit late, that seems to help them. It's, it, it happens over and over and over again. I think that these guys, a lot of the times, they, they just – I don't, they're not quite overtrained, but maybe just not quite fresh enough. And, and, and in this case, it was a knee injury for Aru, just to bring people. Yeah, to knee speed. injury yep. for Aru, uh, which kept him out of the Giro, changed the plans for the entire season. I think this is, this could end up working out in his favor. I think that Aru is absolutely flying right now, and I think that he is one to keep an eye on. He is he is just as much a dark horse for me as Quintana is, mm. just with the guppy <laughs> face. Um, well, yeah, the guppy pain face. Uh, yeah. Fabio Aru looks looks fine. We love Fabio he looks. Aros. He looks funny. He looks kind of funny when he's going hard. Um, but so Astana have made this very public statement, basically saying that, well, we're going to let the results of the road dictate who we throw our 
um, resources behind, which always just works out so great. And also, seen time and time again. And can I add just real quickly that I really have been enjoying this because our our Danish friends on Twitter have been really getting at us yeah. and complaining <laughs> that we're not pegging Fool Song as a as a true favorite for GC. And I really do enjoy the the weird uh, automatic Twitter translations of of. Danish because I can't. It's, it's entertaining and yeah he rides well he's got a great time trial but come on like is he really going to be a Tour de France contender you against, know, he might so yeah. but but really the 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 first finish line for the Astana duo stage five mm-hmm. to me we've talked about this like stage five will probably be the deciding factor between Fabio Ara versus Jakob Fuglsang who gets the Astana resources thrown right. behind him who becomes the uh, super domestique and who becomes the protected guy. This is the stage to planche de belle fille, which translates to the plank of pretty girls. Mm, good old pretty girl <laughs> plank. <Yeah. laughs> Favorite type of plank. Yep. Best kind of plank out there. Uh, it is this, this stage is going to answer a lot of questions for us, both within Astana and with a lot of other teams. I mean, you could do the same thing at Movistar. If either Valverde or Quintana loses a bunch of time that day, you know, yeah, well, they just they got their winner picked for them. Their leader picked for them. Guys, a quick aside. Do you have any favorite examples of the co-leader uh, method gone awry? I mean, I'm just thinking of like when BMC, Vino. Every year. Yeah. Well, when <laughs> uh, Vino and Jan Ulrich showed oh, up, yes. I believe it was the 2005 tour. Contador Armstrong. Contador Armstrong's probably yeah, my favorite. Yeah, that was pretty yep. good. And they're just attacking each other. <laughs> they're like, oh, there's, uh, there's Vino. It's attacking Jan. But minutes. I mean, really, we got to say probably the best of all time was the Le Mans Dino. Yep. That's just so much drama in that one. Uh, I and, love it. And I, making I, history for being the first American to win the tour. You know, I, we've often, I've advocated for... And only. <clears throat> yes. <laughs> I've advocated for uh, dropping team sizes in the Tour de France. And actually, they're going to do it's that happening, next year. Yeah. They're going to drop it from nine to eight in all the Grand Tours. The one sad thing about that is I think that we will no longer see the dual leader thing anymore. Because with only eight guys, you, you brought, sort of run out of domestiques. I think that teams will really be forced to have to pick somebody. Um Although I think a lot of times they've actually already picked someone anyway. They just sort of come out and say that they're going to yeah. work for both. That's definitely, the, you know, that's I think that's probably kind of the case in Astana. Um, Wait, so who's their guy? Aru. I think it's Fuglesong. Really? Uh, yeah. It's Aru. Uh, I'm, one of these I'm, Danish, Aru. I'm one of these Danish fans who's going to yeah. add you on Twitter. <laughs> Lars is going to be so excited to hear you say that. I'm going to be like Frederick <laughs> with a K. Yep. And uh, yeah. I'm going to just like yell at you in Danish. Yeah, with, with the cool characters and the letters and stuff. We love your language, Danish people. Oh, yep. Yeah, keep Super. it coming. Keep swimming in those mentions. We love it. Um, okay, GC battle. I think we've covered a lot of it. And the guys, let's move on to sprinters. We have a couple storylines going on. First of all, this tour is a tour for sprinters. There are numerous stages that are somewhat flat and will be decided in bunch kicks. So the big storylines, we just found out that Mark Cavendish will race the tour for Team Dimension Data. So the storyline there will be like, is an out of shape Mark Cavendish, a strong enough Mark Cavendish Mm -hmm. to win stages of the tour. He has won 30 stages of the Tour de France. He trails Eddie Merckx, who has 34. So the big motivation on his end is to try and get to that point. Do we think he'll be able to inch his way closer at this year's tour? He's been out with Epstein Barr, raced Tour Slovenia last week. Yeah. Do you think he's going to, can he do it? Uh, he was, uh, he did not finish British uh, Road Race Nationals this past weekend, which isn't a particularly positive sign, but maybe he was just sitting up to save his legs. So let's look at, so the first week of the of the Tour de France, he, he certainly has plenty of options in this Tour de France. Uh, if we go through the stages, 
Stages 2, 4, 6, 7, 10, 11, 19, and 21 are flat, likely to be sprint stages. Then you can add in stages 3, 14, 15, and 16, which are sort of maybe sort of more soggy kind of sprints. Yeah, some of those do have punchy little kicks in the finish, so likely not for Cavendish. Probably not for Cavendish. Regardless, he's got, what, eight uh, options in there, seven options in there? Depending on the breakaways. Depending on the breakaways. And and again, you know, his team doesn't really come with any other options, so I think that they will be happy to try to control breakaways and try to control uh, four field sprints. Obviously, Marcel Kittle's team is going to be doing exactly the same thing. I think he gets at least one, honestly, Mm. and it would not surprise me if he takes one relatively early and and gets out of the tournament. The, uh, the thing is, you also have Buhani and Damar in the mix this year. Uh, I think so you the, have, sprint, the sprint, and honestly, Peter Sagan can win flat sprints too. And uh, Cavendish up against Sagan, uh, I mean, with... And Kittle. With Cav just not feeling as good right now like he was last year, I... I'm not really too confident in Cavendish winning any any stages. You know, sprinting's funny though. It is. It's it's a lot of its positioning, a lot of its your team. Um, I do think that he will come in. You know, obviously he knows how to he knows how to win these sprints. He's going to have a pretty good team with him. I don't underestimate Cavendish as a competitor either. I of think course when not. he comes from behind like this, he can often be really really good. Actually, if you go back and look at his Tour de France performances. His best tours have almost always come after springs that we thought were a little bit flat, and his worst tours have come after springs where he won a bunch. So, I think that I think that he's gonna. I think that he'll take one or two. Um, like I said, there are plenty of options this tour. There are more flat stages in this Tour de France than we've seen in a long, long time. So, it wouldn't surprise me if, particularly if he gets one relatively early, if he pops out of the race in the middle of the race. I, you know, obviously the, the team would never say that. He would never say that, but. You know, I don't think that he's going to want to ride across the Pyrenees, for example, if he's already got a stage win in the bag. Because ah, but for the Champs Elysees, though, yeah, it's the, the Champs is enticing, pretty but you got to get through a lot of racing to get there. And he's not going to want to, if he's not super fit, he doesn't want to dig himself into too big of a hole. Um, and he's not going to win the green jersey because Sagan's going to win the green jersey, and so he, there's no the, the incentive to get to Paris to take that green jersey is not really there. Is the Champs alone enough to get him to the end of the race? I'm not so sure. Um, if Kev does win a stage or two, that will be one of those very quintessential Tour de France storylines of like, mm. wow, we thought this guy was going to be so far off the back. You never oh, know yeah. with cycling. Never. People can yep. just do it, you know? Just, um, a, just a kid from the Isle of Man. Yeah. You know? Boy racer. Yeah, boy, boy racer. racer. Hello, he's a boy racer. I'm obviously hoping for a fit Cav who will be able to challenge guys like Christoph Greipel, Bohani, and Damar in those sprints, but I'm not going to bet the farm on it. Um, but guys, you know that that's a good set segue into looking at the course for this year's tour because we do have a number of flat stages we have a number of kind of hilly stages and really you know when you when you remove the one two three four five six seven gc stages at this tour we're left with an overarching storyline around this year's tour which kaylee wrote about last week which is this is the tour in which peter sagan could conceivably win Lots of stages, all the stages. Yeah, like I said, two, four, six, seven, ten, eleven, nineteen, twenty-one, three, fourteen, fifteen, sixteen are all potential stages that Sagan could win. Again, the first set of stages on that list uh, are dead flat, and he's not really a a pure bunch sprinter, so I don't see him taking really many slash any of those 
realistically. However, you never know how those play out. You never know how those play out. And we have stage three, stage 14, stage 15, stage 16, which are all perfectly tuned for Sagan. Uh, nonetheless, I think we could potentially see Sagan like in the top five of what is it? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve stages. He could be in the top five of 12 stages of the 2017 Tour de France, which is be just absolutely incredible. Yeah, I mean, I think that that green jersey record is, I wouldn't say in the bag, but, you know, the things that could derail him from that green jersey record. Well, he'll be tying Zobel, by the way, not making oh, a new record. Tying Zobel would be um, Saddle Sores, Bee Sting, like Act of God, Out of Nowhere Yeah, type Sagan doesn't, I mean, knock on wood here. But uh, Sagan doesn't seem to crash, yeah. <laughs> so it's unlikely that he will be crashed out of the race. And yeah, he's, he's never he's never really had any reason to uh, to pull out before. So um, then, looking at the GC stages, we, t- tell the good people, Kaylee, the good listeners, if you want to set your TiVo dial because you live back in 2007, um, <laughs> what are the stages that you should be waking up early for, setting the TiVo dial to yep. really commit yourself to watching? So the first one is stage five, Planche de Belfi, the plank of pretty ladies. Uh, Chris Froome won there in 2012. That is a perfect Chris Froome stage. Chris Froome tends to like to stamp his authority on the first real mountain stage of the race. That comes super early, so we could see GC shake up on that first 20 percent ramp and the finish on that nasty little climb super gnar. very tough climb followed by stage 12 which is the big long stage across the pyrenees finishes up in perigude uh big nasty stage this stage is yes it's very important i see it more as a uh, a leg softener ahead of stage 13 which is one that you definitely don't want to miss this is a 101 kilometer stage to foie uh, there's there was some chatter that the middle climb was going to have to be shortened a little bit. Col d'Agnès. Col d'Agnès, but um, there's apparently a landslide or something. But yeah, they're they're repaving now, and it, um, my guess is it'll be done by then. They're pretty good at at making sure that stuff gets done. Uh, regardless, it'll be either a cat one, a cat one, a cat one, or it'll be a cat one, a cat two, a cat one. It'll be a really really hard day. Three regardless. climbs, yeah. Three big climbs, and it's so, so short. When we get these stages that drop down into the kind of the three-hour range, that's when things get really exciting because you can go full gas. and All these guys can go full gas for three hours. Those stages are going to be really, really hard. It'll be, uh, it'll be great racing. I think it has the chance to shake up the GC. From a broader perspective, I think that this – uh, this stage 12, stage 13 back-to-back is is really going to prove uh, it will prove to us and prove to ASO that the short stages are much better viewing and so I think it'll be uh, I think it will force ASO into doing more and more and more of them because um, it's going to be really it's going to be really obvious after a big long sloggy stage that the stage afterward the foie stage is just far far more exciting plus just three hours of pretending like you're working with the live stream open on your work computer <laughs> when your boss walks by clicking on your email being Perfect. like yeah 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. totally emailing totally emailing people yep totally emailing just three hours of this yeah. uh so after that there's a bit of a break and this is the this is actually another interesting thing about this tour de france is that they've really split up the decisive GC stages. So they didn't pack them all into the first week or the last week or the middle week. They're they're spread out. So we got stage five, and then we have two more in the 12-13, and we have two more in 7-18. And then we have the stage 20 time trial, and that's it. So there's there are there are easy 
there are easy days in between each one of these sort of like pockets of of GC contention stages. But they're uh, not particularly lumpy transition stages where no, they're it's pretty like flat. opportunist. Yeah. Hence, again, Greg Van Avermaet. Why bring, Greg, I, Why bring Greg? I have no idea. But this is, uh, it's an interesting way to build a Tour de France. It's not the way that they built the Tour de France in the past. I think that it should help uh, maintain our interest throughout the tour a little bit better. And I think that that is really ASO's primary motivation right now. I think that they are very well aware that the last few Tours de France have been frankly kind of boring uh and they're trying to fix it and this is one of the things that they're doing is they're 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 chucking in gc stages like kind of at random like just chucking them at a uh <laughs> at a dartboard basically like emerald with some spice exactly bam, bam. Mm. spicy <laughs> uh anyway so we got stage 17 18 which is back up into the alps this is a very strange route uh it's not the traditional like clockwise or counterclockwise it kind of does like a figure eight um so then we're back up in the Alps for 17-18. Those are two big days, very important days, followed by a ride down, back down to the Mediterranean and the final time trial, that 23-kilometer time trial. My guess is that You love are, those time trials at the end of a Grand Tour, yeah, don't you, Fred? Uh, so boring. My guess is that it's pretty well sorted by then, and that time trial, because it's not particularly long, is not going to be all that important. Uh, and then but There is all, a climb in it, though. It's not a pure flat time trial. That's true. So beware. It's not, not Still as, boring. Yeah. Um, okay, sure. <laughs> oh, uh, maybe it should be a pursuit, like the Hammer series. That would be way better. Well, there's going to be the La Course pursuit on that uh, time trial. That is well. true. The The women's race will run up the Isoir, and mm. then they will do a pursuit in that Marseille course. Yeah. And we will cool. be doing a special La Course podcast when that gets a little bit closer. Followed by a flight for the riders and a very long train ride for Fred and I yeah, up to Paris. Yeah, and then great. it's over. And that's the whole Tour de France. So yeah, stages 5 and then 12 and 13 are really good, particularly 13. 17 and 18 up in the Alps, going to be big, big, big days. And then if you like time trials, and I'm not really sure why you would, <laughs> stage 20 is the last one you want to pay attention to. No, it is an action-packed course. And just going over the stages and looking at the map, I'm just um, I'm just looking into the future and seeing my tattered roller bag <laughs> with just clothes hanging out of it and me looking at a map being really lost, <laughs> trying to figure out where the hell to go week three of the Tour de France, and just slamming like five-hour energies, or the French equivalent of le five-hour energy. <laughs> Cinq, Cinq heures. Heure. <laughs> Cinq heures energy. <laughs> uh, and I will be even worse, because I will be on from the start of the race. <laughs> it's true. Well, uh, there you have it, Velo News Podcast listeners. We are really excited for the tour. Every year, it is... The big race, even if it isn't the most exciting course of the Grand Tours, you know, it's the storylines. It's the race that everyone is peaking for. No one is using this race to prepare for anything else except for Mark Cavendish, um, <laughs> who will be using it to prepare for, I don't know. Tour of Britain. Tour of Britain. There you go. <laughs> All right, guys. You know, when I watch the Tour de France, I always get pretty motivated, pretty amped to go ride my own bicycle. And as we have mentioned ad nauseum on this podcast, my bicycles are in Bad shape Horrible all shape. the time. Yep. Although I did just grease my chain. Too much grease, though. You're not supposed to grease your chain. You're supposed to lube your chain. I greased oh. it with grease. <laughs> um, See, there's your problem. So, guys, what's, what is my fix-it? If you were to guess 
what a great way for me to overcome my technological ineptitude would be. What would it be? So what I've done is I've just gone ahead and called Velofix for you. Okay. Fred is what I've done. Uh, I went to Velofix.com and I scheduled an appointment and there will be a van showing up. Uh, I can't remember whether I chose your home or your office, but one of the two, a van will show up. It will take your bike. It will fix it. Now, here's a question. While they are fixing your bike, do you have to do like the bike shop thing where you stand next to the mechanic and ask them what they're doing? Yes. You have to do that? <laughs> no. Wait, 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 wait. What, what, what are you doing there? What? Yeah. Hey, can uh, you, ask if you can help. Hey, can, can I help? Me? Can you show me how I do that? Can you show me how I do that so I don't have to take it to you? I think that like most mechanics, they prefer if you don't do that. Okay. Uh, also, they are in a van, so they can just drive away from you. Yeah. See Sneaky. you later, Fred. Sneaky. And now this van is not just stocked with like bike parts, but they also have the ability to order you bikes, to order you fancy components. Um, Velofix is, is not just a work stand. It's like a one-stop shop for um, bike components and It's parts. a true mobile bike shop. Yeah, and, and because, like I said before, because Velofix loves all the listeners of the Velonews podcast so, so much. You can go to velofix.com slash velonews right now and be entered to win some pretty cool prizes, which include a big major tune-up from Velofix. There you go. Do it now. Velofix.com slash velonews. Uh, guys, I think we should call I think we should call Larry up. I hear that he's driving somewhere. I've been texting with him this morning. He's driving somewhere, so we're going to catch him. I don't actually know where he's driving. We're going to catch him in the Larry van driving somewhere. Larry. Throw a lot of like Larry themed Lebowski quotes at him. <laughs> Do you see what happens, Larry? <laughs> yeah, l- wonderful ride, Larry. Warbucks. Maybe I'll just open the, open the conversation with that. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's call Larry. Hello? Hey, Larry. Can you hear me? Yep. How are you, man? Yeah, not too bad. <laughs> where where yeah, are you I'm driving? Uh, driving back to Michigan, so... Just in the car with the family right now. Well, let's talk about let's talk about bike race first and foremost. Yeah. Uh, you obviously you had that amazing ride at Switzerland. Nonetheless, did did you sort of see this? You see this coming before last weekend? Yeah, I mean, I guess the whole season I was really looking towards actually the time trial at nationals. So I had some some aim uh, aim towards the nationals. I thought you know coming off of Swiss, I'd probably have some really good form. Uh, you know, not too much time in between. Uh, only like four days in the U.S. Uh, before, so um, that was maybe one concern. But yeah, I, you know, I after I ended up winning that stage at Swiss, I, I thought, well, you never know, the road race could be uh, a possibility too. So definitely gave me some confidence going in there. Well, the road race is always kind of a crapshoot, right? I mean, exactly. It, it's such a it's such a weird event. You have all these domestic teams with a whole bunch of guys but they're probably not quite as strong and then you know guys like yourself and i think house was there maybe alone and keel had just greg and you know how does that dynamic tend to play out i mean do you world tour guys kind of work together until it's time not to work together anymore how does that work well that was like uh something keel approached me about before uh, <laughs> but I, I wasn't uh, you know it's hard to know uh I actually, I told my mom <laughs> the day before the race that I'm pretty sure the only guy who wouldn't flick me would be Alexi Vermeulen uh, <laughs> uh, if, if it came down to it. And uh, somehow we ended up in a group together. So that was actually pretty funny. Um, but, but yeah, you know, um, I guess what I told myself was that's why I wanted to focus on the time trial because that's the only thing that I can really control. 
um, you know, in a time trial, it's just your legs and uh, everything else, uh, you know, your equipment also. But, um, you know, there's no real tactics involved. And when you're racing alone, you know, there's so, it's so much about tactics. And uh, so that's why I wasn't really setting any big goals for the road race before, you know, before, I guess, coming into it. So I just said before, like the race, you know, I'd really like to win, but I'm not going to put any pressure on myself because it is such a crapshoot. And, uh, you know, I, I know that coming here is a risk uh, because who knows what could happen. Uh, you know, like the whole race could go up the road in the first five minutes and uh, I could, yeah, could be out of it already then. So I guess going in with that mindset, kind of kept me calm uh because I, I i never really stressed out about missing any moves and uh, i just really tried to play it cool and save energy until the right moment so what's the uh what's the first race we get to see the stars and stripes on larry's shoulders uh actually i don't race for a while so uh uh well burgos is the next one on my list so i think that's in around a month or so so no no tuesday yeah, night crits in michigan no, I don't think so. Maybe some group rides. I'm not sure, but uh, but yeah, I'll definitely uh, post some Instagram photos once uh, once I get it in my hands. So maybe you, maybe now I have some extra time to design it. So awesome. Do you have some ET, an ETA on that on that that Stars and Stripes kit? Well, they already sent me a design this morning, so that was pretty quick. Um, but you know, I asked to make a few adjustments, so we'll see, <laughs> we'll see. I, I don't know when I'm going to get it, but I want it to look good first. So. <laughs> I think you should definitely rock it on the local group local group ride yeah, in Michigan. I think that uh, <laughs> is there is there a, a group ride that you grew up doing that you go back and do when you when you head home? Um, yeah, well, I used to do this like Tuesday night group ride in my hometown, um, but unfortunately, a lot of the guys who did it when I was doing it have since sort of stopped. And uh, yeah, so when. When I go back, occasionally I'll I'll show up for that. But to be honest, I haven't been home in the summer in uh, quite a few years. So really, since like 2013. Uh, so yeah, it's been a while since I've been home in the summer. So I'm pretty excited to go back to Michigan for a little bit of time. So so earlier in the podcast, uh, before we had you on, the three of us, Spencer, Fred, and I, were chatting about how this nationals kind of feels like a bit of a tipping point, like a generational tipping point, uh, and, and, and specifically related to you and Joey. Um, you know, you're, you're two guys who we've we've kind of seen be really consistent, and you're sort of almost there, almost there, almost there, and then all of a sudden you break through at Nats this year. Do, do you feel that way? I mean, between this and your Swiss ride and Joey's, you know, Joey had that fifth place in the time trial at the Giro. Does it feel a little bit like you guys are, are coming of age, so to speak? Yeah, I definitely think so. You know, I think uh, I think we were probably both kind of underrated riders for a while. Uh, so, you know, I guess it's nice to get some validation. You know, Joey won a pretty solid race in France last year called uh, Tour de Limousin. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think that's kind of where he really started to show it. And he was also really good in Utah. Um, and so, you know, then to back that up, when I saw he was fifth in the Giro TT, I was like, oh, damn, he's going to be really good at Nationals. <laughs> sure enough, he was. Uh, and, and, yeah, and then for me, obviously, last week was huge, uh, or two weeks ago was huge in Swiss. And, uh, yeah, I guess it's just really cool that I was able to prove that wasn't a fluke and, uh, yeah, back it up 
with a really good ride yesterday. So, yeah, you know, um, I think it is, but, you know, I think probably, I, I can't speak for Joey, but I know for myself is, I knew it's something I've been capable of for a long time, so now it's just nice to, to show it, uh, I guess, to everyone else, you know, so... <laughs> You, you say that you knew that you were capable of it for a long time. Is that a numbers thing? You know, are your numbers higher right now than they've been? Or is this is this just sort of a prime example of how pro cycling can be sort of as much luck and timing as anything? Oh, yeah, no. Honestly, my numbers aren't any different. Like, they're, they're no higher right now than, than they've ever been. But I, I think it's just sort of the culmination of, uh, you know, now this is my fifth year as a professional and i would just say all the experience i've had over the last four years uh has you know i guess helped me uh to win these yeah i guess win both these races uh you know it's like both of them i guess tactics came into play quite a bit um i guess yesterday more so than the winning swiss but um you know just things that I guess if, if I would have been in the same situation three years ago with the same legs, there's no way I would have won those races. Um, so now just having, I guess, a more solid head on my shoulders. And, uh, yeah, and I've, I've also worked, uh, you know, on, I guess, my head as well. Uh, you know, before I was only training the legs, um, and now I'm also training my mind. So mm. I think that's made a huge difference. What exactly does that look like? That's really interesting to me because I guess I'm, I'm interested in what specifically you, you you would do now that you wouldn't have done three years ago. In in the race, you mean tactically or? Uh, just w- w- whatever it is that's making the difference right now. Like you said, you're, you're, you're training your, you know, you're training your mind a little bit. What is that? What does that look like? What what is what is the difference between three years ago, Larry, and and today, Larry? Yeah, I guess it's just I never really thought about that aspect of uh, cycling, you know. And I guess you know before I, I always thought it was just about you know riding your bike, and there's so many other facets that go into bike racing, and and you know there's so many times like yesterday I didn't really feel that great the whole day, but it was just telling myself you know not not giving up not giving up and and just learning when to keep fighting and uh when to stay calm and things like that uh that 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 has sort of made all the difference uh because before where maybe i would have just given up if i felt bad you know i would have lost the race already on the first lap because you know i didn't feel good and uh yeah just just knowing when when to when to keep going and when to uh take it easy and stuff like that so do you think there are a lot of riders uh oh is that you just got passed by a big truck <laughs> yeah we did get passed by a big <laughs> yeah. uh do you think there are a lot of riders in the pro field that are oh. Oh. we got you again we lost you for a second you're oh. back okay uh do you think there are a lot of riders in the pro field who are like you just sort of you need need some time to to figure it out uh is, is this sort of a bigger phenomena than most fans understand yeah i definitely i definitely think uh there are a lot of riders like me um and i think the sad thing is a lot of them end up out of the sport before uh, they really get the chance to show themselves and uh, i'm just lucky that i i kept fucking away until <laughs> uh the day finally came you know because uh yeah there was some times in the last few years where I seriously questioned what I was doing and, 
I'm sure plenty of other people question me as well. So, so yeah, I think, I think it happens to a lot of guys. And I think especially, uh, if you're racing in Europe and coming from overseas, um, it's especially hard because you have to totally adjust to an entirely new lifestyle change and, uh, living in a new place and culture. And, uh, you know, that, that's, that's, I guess the racing is the easy part. Uh, and, and trying to do everything else in life is so hard that, uh, you know, it really adds a lot of fatigue that, uh, you know, maybe doesn't show up on training peaks, but can affect you in the races. So, um, yeah, I think it's just, yeah, there are a lot of guys who I think they, they end up not really getting their chance and, uh, you know, maybe, maybe they did have it, but it just never really came together. So. I'm really lucky that I was able to keep going uh, <laughs> until it happened. So, what were some of the moments with, that, that, that were really hard for you in the last couple of years? Uh, I mean, I know that I'm assuming that when EM shut down, that was probably pretty stressful. But what else? Yeah. Um, well, in 2014, uh, you know, initially I was told that uh, I should be good with my contract in the spring. Um, and then later told that, uh, I wouldn't be renewed. Mm. And so that was, that was a big scare because I didn't know if I would have a contract after that. And I, I ended up not signing, uh, with, I am the, yeah. So for 2015, I didn't sign until, uh, October. Uh, yeah. So late October or something. So that's really, really late to get a contract. <laughs> um, and yeah, so, you know, I was pretty unsure for a while and then that was, that was really hard. And then, um, in 2015, again, actually I am told me they weren't going to renew me, um, for 2016, uh, in June because they wanted, I don't, they wanted to build their sprint train or something like that. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so yeah, that, that again was a big hit. And again, I didn't sign that year until after the Vuelta. So, uh, you know, that, that again was just a tough, tough year and tough situation. Um, and then, yeah, last year again, I didn't sign until, uh, end of October. So that, that, that was uh, really a hard part. And I actually just wrote, uh, wrote a blog for Relure that, uh, uh, went up like a couple hours ago. Um, so where I talked about quite a few of the the tough times I went through. So we will yeah, check that were, out. Yeah. Lis listeners to the Velo News podcast, please go read that. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, so this, this couple of weeks then has to be a big weight off your shoulders, right? I mean, these are, these are the kind of results that a pro like yourself can kind of lean on for actually for quite a while in terms of getting contracts and you're secure through next season with aqua blue. Uh, but nonetheless, I mean, having a national championship in your back pocket, having a tour de Suisse stage in your back pocket, these are, these are big results. They have to be, they have to make you feel a little bit more secure, right? Definitely. You know, it's, uh, my director, one of my directors called me this morning and said, you know, either these big you know either these results are something uh, a lot of pros would be proud of just to have one of in their career and you just won two of them in uh, two weeks so that's pretty uh, pretty incredible um so that i mean it's it's definitely amazing and it's definitely something i'll be proud of but i won't won't lean on anything and you know i'm going to keep working hard and hopefully uh keep moving up from here you know so don't want to don't want to get a uh, 
complacent. So. <laughs> Uh, we we need to we need to wrap up here, so we will let you continue your nine hour drive or so <laughs> to Michigan. Uh, a very a very happy greeting to your mother, I believe, is in the in the car, right? Okay, Anybody else yeah. in there? Yeah, my dad and my sister. <laughs> Hello, Warbass family. Uh, <laughs> appreciate you coming on this morning. Of course, thanks so much for having me. For sure, your brand new U.S. Pro Road Race National Champion, Larry Warbass. Everybody. Here's some good news for all our listeners. Research has shown that avid cyclists have 45% lower cancer risk, 18% lower heart disease risk, and 28% lower risk of early death. Good stuff, right? It gets better. This week's sponsor of the Vela News podcast, Health IQ, is a life insurance company that rewards you for being fit as a fiddle. Head over to healthiq.com slash News to get a quote. You'll find a rate that reflects your healthy lifestyle and shows your support for this podcast at the same time. Okay, guys. Well, that was our podcast. Uh, before we get out of here, we need to put some predictions down on paper for the Tour de France. We need to put our money where our mouth is. Since we work in bike journalism, we have lots of money, just so much spare cash to throw around. So what do you think? Like a dollar, dollar fifty this year? Ooh, that's a little steep. Yeah, that's true. I got rent to pay. Uh, uh, maybe 75 cents. A couple wooden nickels. Yeah, there we go. Okay, uh, <laughs> let's go around it. Let's do podium and as a wild card question what's going to be the decisive stage of this year's tour de france the stage that really makes the makes the difference oh should i go first okay podium uh fabio aru wins the tour de france no (laughs) garbage take Garbage, garbage podium i'm going with it fabio aru wins the tour de france followed by richie port what? Followed by Nairo Quintana. What? Chris Froome what? comes down with a horrible case of botulism Ooh, and man. has to leave the race. And it, the most decisive stage of the, the Tour de France on stage <laughs> will be, will, uh, you, you stole it from me, friend, will be the buffet, the, the team buffet on stage uh, 14. I don't even know what stage that is. I have no idea what happens in stage 14. I have not memorized the tour rule book or route book yet. Uh, but yeah, Chris Froome eats something bad, gets uh, gets botulism, has to pull out. So basically what you're saying is that Team Sky's um, staff of chefs is not elite. You're calling them not elite. <laughs> Actually, they're all really nice people. Quality control, yeah. not elite. No, maybe maybe it's sabotage. Ooh, gosh. Ooh. Just like those uh, old 80s Giro d'Italia's when Jim Akowitz yeah. was like testing testing 7-Eleven's food. Yeah. I've, I've been reading Peter Cousins' uh, book about the first Tour de France. Great book, yeah. Great book. And there's there's some, yeah, there's some, there's been sabotage from the start in the Tour de France. Oh, yeah. A lot mm. of hanky-panky. A lot of hanky-panky. Um, okay, I will. I will make my predictions. I say first place Chris Froome, second place Naira Quintana, third place um, Roman Bardet. Mm, okay. I think Ooh. that I think that um, Mr. Port has a really really great Tour de France and then flames out week three. Um, sorry guys, I like <laughs> I love you Richie Port. And I see the um, the, the decisive stage 
being that stage 20 time trial. I think we're going to have mm-hmm. a real close time trial, a real close kind of dull for, uh, tour up until stage 20. So you, so you think it. that Froome is maybe behind Quintana coming into it? Or right, or right there, you know, mm. pulls away on the old time trial. Mm. I know it's kind of a chalk boring pick. Um, but that's what I am, chalk and boring. I'm chalky. Don't be so hard on yourself, and Fred. And kind of boring, you know? Probably more right than mine, though. But I'm so. okay with it. Yeah. Fabio Aru, <laughs> I do like your your decision to that's swing out the there. Fences. Yeah, it's out there. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed that as well. I'm going to say this tour is won by Lil Richard. <laughs> Richie Port. Richie Port. And then for my second place pick, I'm going to say Chris Froome. And uh, I'm going to say Andrew Chelansky gets on the podium in third. And I think that the decisive stage is actually going to be Planche de Belfi. Mm. I think Port's coming into this tour with a lot of form. He's going to obliterate everyone on that really hard climb. And then his BMC team will pull a miraculous Bad News Bears three weeks of Tour de France and somehow fend off all the Skybots. And, uh, yeah, you might get, you might get a little close down in that final time trial, but we all know Richie Port can time trial exceptionally well, and I see him uh, winning this tour. But what happens if all the other guys are racing just to see him lose and not to win? Ooh, that's tricky. Then he loses, just like the Dauphiné. Yeah. <laughs> Rough <laughs> yeah. Port take. Well, guys, we would love your feedback on what we talked about today. You can email us at webletters at competitorgroup.com. We'll also post links to the stories we talked about today on VeloNews.com. Subscribe to the VeloNews podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. And while you're there, please leave us a comment and a rating. Rate us. Give us a big rating. Uh, become a fan of VeloNews on Facebook at facebook.com slash magazine and follow us on Twitter at twitter.com slash VeloNews. The VeloNews podcast News, which is owned by the competitor group. Thoughts and opinions and takes, flaming, fiery hot takes expressed in the Melody podcast are those of the individual. And as always, we leave you with the Brooklyn Boogaloo Blowout playing the Bernard Purdy Classic Soul Drums. <laughs>